Today's episode is about magicians. Magicians who are supposed to change the world with precious little funds, few staff. Magicians who are told, oh, we'd love to fund your work, but we don't like to pay for your people. Today's episode is about superheroes. Superheroes with tattered keeps. Today's episode is about you. You know, it's not Valentine's Day, but we could pretend it is. Because today we celebrate you. So, who's we doing this celebrating? Well, me, because it's my podcast and my guest is one of the kindest, smartest, funniest champions in the nonprofit sector. He and I are kindred spirits. In a world of resources that can sometimes seem antiseptic, clinical, and instructive, we both saw a need for humor. Actually, my guest saw it first, and maybe I'm just a big old copycat. But we're also kindred spirits in another important way. We both get how important the sector is, and we get that you are magicians. My guest calls you unicorns. I call you superheroes. And we know how important your success is in our world. And so today, sit back and take it in, because we're going to celebrate you. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, author, blogger, and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, gets it. She is here to help. Vu Le is a writer, speaker, vegan, Pisces, and the executive director of Rainier Valley Corps, a nonprofit in Seattle that promotes social justice by developing leaders of color, strengthening organizations led by communities of color, and fostering collaboration between diverse communities. Known for his no BS approach, irreverent sense of humor, and love of unicorns, Vu has been featured in dozens, if not hundreds, of his own blog posts at nonprofitaf.com. You might remember it more as nonprofitwithballs.com. Vu is a keynote speaker. He presents on panels, does all kinds of speaking gigs, and can talk on a variety of subjects from funding dynamics, cultural competency, self-care, unicorns, and what games, what Game of Thrones can teach us about the nonprofit field. I consider Vu not only a kindred spirit, but a friend. Last year, we enjoyed a vegan meal together in Sacramento after our speeches at a conference. He's smart and funny. He has a full-time job as an ED. He has two small children. He writes a blog post every Sunday, and he travels all the time, sharing his wisdom and serving as one of the nonprofit sector's biggest champions. Welcome, Vu. Nice to see you. Actually, I don't see you, because where are you? <laughs> hey, Joan, I'm in Cleveland right now. And I'm in New Jersey. I actually just got home from uh, Texas, where I did a speaking gig. You must be doing a speaking gig in Cleveland. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. where I am. Awesome. So I'm actually really curious. You and I have had many conversations, and I've heard your keynote speeches uh, a bunch of times, but I actually don't know how you got into the nonprofit space. And I, I sort of wonder when people are like 10 years old and like some annoying relative asks you what you want to be when you grow up. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, you had some options here. You know, I want to be a unicorn. I want to change the world. Um, I want to, as you would say, I want to change the world sitting in a crappy chair. I'm going to get off of Craigslist when it's invented. Or, gee, aunt, I want to grow up and ask people for money. Um, or maybe there's E. Uh, none of the above. How did you get into the nonprofit space, Vu? Oh, it's been a long and winding path. I don't think a lot of people grow up saying, I, I want to go into nonprofit. I'm going to be an executive director and be overpaid and 
I mean, underworked and overpaid. <laughs> overworked and underpaid. <laughs> overworked and underpaid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and not be taken seriously uh, by anyone, in, especially in my in my community where we just don't really understand what nonprofits are. So I actually started wanting to be a psychiatrist, and I was pre med. And then my uh, and then I just thought, I you know, I don't I don't really want to be a doctor. And I don't want to dissect some cadavers in college. And so I switched over to social work, which made my parents very proud. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Oh, they were not very proud. Of oh, because they wanted you to be a doctor. Of course. Right. We were, I mean, I, they're like, you're the smart one in the family. You're, you're going to be the doctor. They didn't, they didn't actually say any of that, but I know that that's what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I became a social worker, they were not very happy. But I think this is the, the right path because we really need more people thinking about this and building community and helping people. Do you so, think your, your, has your social work degree um, been an asset? Would you recommend that people who go to the sector get a social work degree? I, I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely. I think social work is one of the most underrated degrees there are. I mean... You learn all sorts of stuff. Like I, I still use the stuff that I learned in my master's all the time, like how to facilitate uh, conversations, how to do empathic listening, how to, you know, steal food. How to figure out creative ways to pay your rent that's due like yesterday. Yeah. Where to shop or clearance aisle, aisle shirts and, and suits and stuff like that. Yeah, all, all these things we learn all the time. But seriously, it's a great degree. It lets you do awesome things. You get to hire practicum students. Um, yeah, so that's 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 great to, to bring and help to mentor new leaders into the sector. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I, I, I wonder, because I, I don't have a social work degree, do they teach you how to like manage things, like manage people and hire? And, you know, so often the, the, the work of a nonprofit leader is all about management and hiring and performance reviews. And um, I'm assuming you didn't learn that stuff until you oh, actually- Oh, I totally got, did. We, there's, uh, seriously? One, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's something we, we should probably dispel about the, 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 the social work degree is that it's, it's very diverse. I concentrated on social economic development, but you can go into governance management track or, you know, research policy. You can do whatever. There's whole, you can do whatever you like within the field itself. So I learned all sorts of stuff, grant writing, management, HR, accounting, all of it. Wow. That's actually, <laughs> okay. I have learned something I did not know. It's not too late to get your master's in social work, Joan. No, I put, I'm going to put that on my list because, you know, you and I just have, um, we have short lists as well uh, of, of things that we do every day. Um, yeah? yeah? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I mean, look at your list, right? You're an executive. <laughs> Yours is actually scarier than mine. You're an executive director. You are, are out speaking. You're a blogger. You have two little kids. Um I mean, you're on the road right now. Uh, you read a blog every Sunday. I actually laughed right out loud when I ta- when I looked at the topics that you talk about, and one of them was self care. And I was like, "Is he kidding me? Like, that's nuts! Like, how do you do that?" You know, no one has ever asked me to speak on self care. Kind of insulting, you know. I. Uh, 
Yeah, but I, I think I think you and I talked about self care being not really not, not not really about being about time, but about what brings you energy, right? So the kids, yes, they do absorb a lot of my time, but they bring energy. They are they're amazing. The blog itself, it's great. I mean, it's like ten hours of my time a week to work on it and to think about it, and it does um, take a lot of time. But it also is something that brings me a lot of energy to do, and also my work. So. All this is a lot of energy, and um, yeah, so that, that's, what, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, uh, I think the difference between those two things is really, really important. Um, I take it, you know, my, my work like you, I think, is very, it really fuels me and doesn't all, I mean, sometimes, yes, sometimes it depletes me when I get a middle seat on the flight home from San Antonio. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, and I get a bag of lousy pretzels, but, you know. <laughs> um, I subsist on pretzels. They're the best. I have. Well, I, I was going to say a bag of lousy pretzels. I think that might be, um, that might be redundant. Anyway. Um, well, I mean, you're very busy too. How do you, how do you maintain energy? Um, I, I work all the time. I mean, I think that, you know, I have a pretty robust consulting practice. I do a lot of ED coaching. Um, I do a lot of crisis management where I help organizations sort of dig themselves out of some kind of hole they've gotten themselves into, which is, in fact, quite gratifying, but also very draining. It's a, a little bit like a, you know, sort of professional shrink. Um, mm-hmm. And... Um, and then I, I spend most of the weekends, I, that's this weekends are when I do a lot of writing and also when I do sort of the work that meetings aren't, meetings create work, but if you're in all meetings all the time, yeah. then you have to find some time to do the work. But what I don't have that you have are small little kids. The con- converse of that is I have kids in their 20s and they deplete you in very different kinds of ways, <laughs> including your bank accounts, actually. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> we can relate to that. Childcare is ridiculous over there. So I, um, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm very good at it. Nobody's asking me to talk about self-care either. Um, uh, sometimes I, I, I do offer thoughts about self-care. I re- recently did a podcast about it. Um, but I was very clear that I didn't necessarily, <laughs> I didn't necessarily do any of those things. Um, I wanted to ask you something. Um, so you and I both know that, uh, that nonprofit leaders are actually in the, they're, they're, <laughs> really, really caring people. And I, I recently said to somebody that I thought my own move into advocacy was kind of predestined, that I think I have some kind of sign hanging around my neck that only people in need can actually see that says, uh, she will help you because she can't say no. Um, and I, I, I joke because I can be in New York City and there's like thousands of people around me, but a lost tourist will seek me out like it's crazy, and you I look wonder. So friendly. Uh, well, maybe it's that I might have a friendly face. I don't know, but I wonder as we champion nonprofit leaders, if you have thoughts about how to encourage nonprofit leaders to use the word "no." Um, they need to say it more often. I, I think they they need your help, Vu, because they really li- people really care what you have to say about these things. How do you get someone who cares? to actually prioritize and say no. Do you have any ideas? I am actually really bad at saying no, too. Someone emailed me and was like, Boo, I want to start a nonprofit. Can you talk to me? <laughs> Can I have an hour of your time? Talk to me about starting this new nonprofit. And I'm like, 
sir, when, what I really want to say was, heck no, why are you starting a nonprofit? Don't start a nonprofit. Like, just don't do that. Do you, th- <laughs> do you think there are too many nonprofits? I, that, I think that's a, that's a topic for a different podcast. I, I think yes and no. I, you know, so we can talk about that on the third appearance. Okay, the- that sounds fine. Yeah, and I, I, I ask, I'd ask that question a lot. And I, I, I don't think it's, a, it, it's one of those answers that th- there aren't necessarily too many nonprofits. It depends, frankly, on what those organizations do and if they fill a unique gap in the sector, right? Yeah, I think so. But at the same time, we have to think about, do we ask these questions of the for-profit sector? Do we go, hey, you have too many cupcake shops everywhere? <laughs> all over why don't all you cupcake places just like merge into one giant mega cupcake place so you can be more efficient and the cupcake places are like well we serve this neighborhood and you know if we have one giant we won't won't be able to serve everyone and they're gonna take like the bus to get here and what are we what are we trying to do so yes i think there are people who definitely should not be starting nonprofits at all because they haven't done the research and i also think it's kind of insulting for just anyone to be like hey I am a surgeon or a dentist and I want to start a nonprofit, even though I know nothing about it. Right. It's insulting. I don't go and say, hey, I'm going to start a medical practice. No. <laughs> 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 to help people with splinters or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, quite a mixed bag. So we will save that. We will save that for part three. Um, right. But I want to hear you talk to me about, you know, like I, one of the things I, people say, boy, you're on the road a lot doing speaking gigs. And I actually, except for the, the plane rides and the middle seats and the lousy pretzels, I do actually find them incredibly um, fueling to me because I meet all these like crazy, remarkable people who are doing these crazy, remarkable things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I find it so admirable. And I think to myself, chief, like I can help them in any way. What a good day at the office. And I, I wonder, like you're a nonprofit leader, but but you meet so many of them. What are the attributes that you admire most about nonprofit leaders? What what you know, what what what's the secret sauce of a great nonprofit leader that makes you say, Boy, I am so glad I'm talking to these people today? <laughs> well, nonprofit leaders were amazing, right? And first of all, we are extremely attractive. No one can rock the four ninety nine shirt from Ross dressed for less like we can for sure, right? Yep. You and you rock those shirts. I have seen you rock them. <laughs> I wear the same shirt to every speaking engagement. It's, uh, oh, I thought you had multiple. I had thought you had multiples of it. Oh no, 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 no! It has to be the same shirt. I see, and and you buy. It must be permanent press so that you can roll it up in a ball and go from place to place. It's been ironed and wrinkled about a hundred times. Well, at one point, like in the like right at the turn of the two thousands, wrinkled was like a really cool thing, and that was a that was a big plus, wasn't it? <laughs> I know, I miss those days. But anyway, <laughs> getting back to our question, because we we're on all these tangents. Um, I okay. So first, I mean that we're also extremely creative. This is like the most creative bunch of individuals. You did you ever watch that show Chopped? Chopped. Yes. My, my wife ran the Food Network for eight years, so I know a lot yeah, about food shows. One of my heroes. I love the Food Network. But Chopped is, you know, there's all these chefs and then they each get a basket of random items and they got to make something amazing and delicious. And they're like, what the heck am I going to do with this trout and some marshmallow peeps? What am I, what am I <laughs> <laughs> 
And they managed to make some incredible meal out of these ridiculous random items. And I feel like this is us. This is this is nonprofit leaders. We take random stuff and all these funding restrictions and we turn them into these delicious meals of social justice. That's us. We're incredible. And determined, right? I mean, yeah, yeah I... Um... So I, it's a little, it, it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not Quaker, but you know, Quakers say that everybody's got a, a light inside them. And the way I think about it is, and, and, and maybe it's a little bit uh, arrogant, but I feel like nonprofit leaders, their lights are shining just a little bit brighter, maybe just a little bit bigger. And that folks like you and uh, those people who add resources and help and are sort of champions for these leaders, um, that uh, part of uh, what part of the way I see my work is, can I can I can, when I leave, are those people's lights shining brighter? Are they maybe stoked a little bit higher, or do they have some kind of tools that they can use to potentially, um, you know, light up their board members in such a way that get them more engaged to invite people to know more, do more about their organizations, and um, and so I, that's so that's kind of how I think about them. I think I think it's a very very special breed of people. Yep, I totally agree with you. And we're just so nice all the time. And we're so smart and talented. <laughs> I, my wife always says to me when I go, when I go, you know, travel, she says, well, I hope you, I hope you meet some nice people. I don't <laughs> ever not meet nice people. You know, I was, you're right. I have not met, I've done this a lot. And yeah, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's just like, ugh. Yeah, I think my wife calls it um, members in good standing of the good guy Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, me too. Um, what? Um, talk for a minute. We're in a we're in a pretty wacky political environment. Um, the battle seems a lot more uphill for nonprofit leaders today. Than it has before. Do you? I assume you feel that in your in your own shop, and you feel that when you talk to people. And what's your? I'm I'm interested in your observations about that, and sort of when people ask you, as I'm sure they do, sort of what to do in these difficult times. What do you tell them? What do you do, and what do you tell them? Yeah, this is something I I have been struggling with a lot because every time something horrible happens, I try to write a blog post to cheer people up. And it's been getting harder and harder. Yeah, your last blog post was not really that cheery. <laughs> I know, I know. And but it, that's okay. But see, it, I think that's fine. I, I, I didn't mean any judgment by that, actually, Vu, because I actually think one of the things that people really appreciate about you is you are what you see is what you get. Are you are ridiculously authentic, and I think that that actually really um, is part of your why people respect and admire you so much. Well, thank you, Joan. I appreciate that. And I, I guess what we should say is it's okay to not feel so cheerful. I, th- I think it's okay to feel like crap right now because things are crappy. And I, I, we just need to accept that we're in this, this crappy mood and we're not bad people for feeling terrible and hopeless and despondent right now. So I think allowing yourself to feel those feelings is it's okay. At the same time, I think after a little bit of time, being spent there, we need to start focusing on the work. And 
I try to remind myself, you know, the whole arc bending towards justice, blah, blah, blah. It's been harder to think that it's actually bending and it's not like concave right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is. <laughs> the news make, make it sound like it's completely hopeless. But I mean, people are living longer. There's less poverty globally. There's more rights for everyone now. It, and it seems that we're going backward. Yes, we are. But we're still at the... We, we, this is the best society has been since the history of time right now. And we've got to keep it going. And I, I talked this week about how we need to stop intellectualizing so much, which I think is true. We, we do. We keep thinking. We keep putting sticky dots <laughs> on easel paper and staring at them right. and strategizing and doing theory of change and foundations spend 12 months to make a decision uh, when, when people are, are getting deported and all this stuff. And we just cannot keep thinking about all this stuff all the time. We need to start taking more action. And some of those actions may lead to failures, but we need to accept that and keep going and acting. So I don't know. That's, that's my thoughts. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree with you. I think a couple of things. I think that um, this might be a time where asking for forgiveness rather than permission might be a good thing to try some new things. I like to, that, yeah. Yeah, to be more nimble. Um, that it's you're absolutely right. Like there are big problems in our society, and waiting eight months for a foundation to say, "Okay, we're going to give you some money, but uh, you can't spend it on any people and or travel." <laughs> you only buy dry erase markers. Yeah, totally. And and um, and, and look, I don't want to I don't want to paint all foundations with the same brush, so. Um, it could be an individual donor as well. Um, but it just seems to me that institutions are moving too slowly in a time when there's just a it's, lot to do. I don't think it's institutions. I think it's actually a progressive thing. If you look at it, there's clear differences, and I'll be writing about this soon, but the difference between progressive foundations and nonprofits and conservative foundations and nonprofits, they are ironically very different. The conservative foundations and nonprofits are way more liberal in their strategies. Like they're like, okay, just try stuff. Here's a bunch of money. They give way more money. They're more trusting. They fund much faster. They're much more flexible with the funding. They're more willing to try and fail and do stuff. Whereas over here on the progressive side, we're just like, I don't know. We need 12 months to develop this theory of change and this logic model. And then we need another 18 months to think about who is doing what and getting them together. And then we need three more years to secure the funding. And then we need eight more years to do evaluation of the first phase of the project on $8. <laughs> um, yeah, intellectualizing, I think, is the word you used in your blog post, but something this is about overthinking, right? We got a, we got a problem. We got a problem here. Let's try something, for goodness' sake. And I do think, I do think that, you know, uh, when I uh, my reaction to this is really to um, to remind nonprofit leaders that there are a lot of people that are kind of I, I use the you know sort of a field metaphor, so it's a sports field. That there are a ton of people who are sitting in the stands who are. <clears throat> who are hungry for something to be different, who also feel hopeless but are feeling a little, feeling equally powerless, and that if nonprofit leaders 
actually were to be able to recognize that those people, if they, if you, if a nonprofit leader chooses to invite that person to come out of the stands and come onto the field, they're actually handing them the keys to something. They're handing them some power. And that that's actually a gift to them in a way that just leaving them up there isn't going to be that helpful. And I just, I feel like nonprofit leaders are not taking, need to take more advantage of building this army of people, of inviting people to, hey, come do this with us. Yeah, I completely agree. And you have way more experience than I do at mobilizing people. Well, what do you recommend? How do we get these people out from the stand to take action? Well, I, I, you know, I think a lot of it starts um, with how organizations are constructed to begin with. Yeah. That they're constructed by, you know, a person or a couple of people, and onto their boards go a couple of people that they know. <clears throat> And then they they all because they all know each other, the people they know, they all know each other too. And you create this kind of echo chamber where the organization is mostly just talking to people who know each other and they are not um, reaching out to create new spheres of influence. And when we talk about diversity in the sector, and I and you know, and I know you're a big champion of that, I see it as that, that, that word with a capital D, right, is if I have a, um, if I go and I, if I cast for a particular skill set that I want on my board and I then look at an affinity group, uh, let's say I want somebody who does strategy and I'm a pretty small nonprofit and I need somebody who does strategy, I might go to a place like McKinsey, which has affinity groups out the wazoo and try to find an affinity group maybe women or, you know, Latinos or something like that, get a young engagement manager at McKinsey, maybe who grew up in the community in which this organization, um, you know, serve the clients that are served by that organization. And think about all the new and different people that prospective board member would bring to the table. I just don't think that we are fanning out enough to build a diverse army and um, that we're not dedicating enough time to do that. And, and I, I feel like that's really important. And I think that when people think about diversity, they're not necessarily always thinking about that new sphere of influence. And I think that, is, that that word diversity is a pretty broad umbrella. What do you think? I agree. I, I, I do think we, we do need to really focus on racial diversity, gender, LGBTQ, age, disability, diversity. At the same time, you're right. If we are always in this echo chamber, how do how do we recruit people, right? There's a whole bunch of people who are neutral, who are and, and someone needs to go to them and be like, hey, you know, why don't you come on this side? <laughs> Instead, we're always just talking to people who are already on this side and complaining about how what what we're doing. So I think you're right. We we do need to reach out and 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 and, and talk to people more who may not agree with everything that we are saying. I, I also think, I also think that there's a, um, we have a, we have an age issue too, is um, we're not talking uh, with or to people in their twenties or people, you know, uh, uh, you know, you fill in the blank way younger than me. Um, in a way that actually resonates for them. And so I, so I give an example, you know, um, 
so I do some work with faith-based uh, organizations that are trying to move, trying to get more young people to come to churches or synagogues. Well, they're not they're not into institutionalized religion in that way, and so um, organizations have to start to think about how to bring their work to those people rather than trying to bring those people to the organizations. And I'm very intrigued about this. I'm very intrigued about how younger people think about their power, their need for participation, um, that we have a lot of institutions that are very old power where the, the power comes from the top down and you ask people for their, you know, for their points of view, but it's not participatory in the same way that young people are asking. I'm reading this book called New Power. Um, in fact, I did a podcast on it this week and it's very, very interesting to think about um, what power is like in our, in this time versus, you know, sort of a decade ago. And I think that the I don't think we should spend three or four years thinking about it with um, task forces and uh, foundations, mind you. But I, I do think people need to be thinking about uh, leaders need to be thinking about power in a very different kind of way. I, I don't know if you have any reaction to that. Yeah, this requires a little bit of time for me to process. Um, but. Yeah, I think things are shifting for sure. Demographics are changing. People are communication, uh, communicating in different ways. And, oh, I'll so sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. I'll be checking out about one hour. One hour? Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you didn't ask for a late checkout, Boo? I did, I did. And they just, <laughs> I was like, can I check out at 12? I'm on a podcast. <laughs> like, sure. Of course. Anyway. Um, yeah, so we, we do. People are communicating differently. They're, they're using social media the way, and that has advanced so quickly. And unfortunately, the legal, the laws and policies around that has not been keeping up. And so that's been leading to a whole bunch of really terrible things. So I don't know. There's all these things that we've got to think about. But I think the point is that so many of the strategies we've been using in the past are not really working now. Yeah. This I, I I am just all over your idea that like we have to we have to create organizations and boards who are willing to take risks, who are willing to say, hey, give that a shot. Let's see. What we're doing now might not be working. Maybe that will work. And I, I just I find organizations to be far too risk averse. And the notion of being able to pilot things, that kind of freedom can open up a world of opportunities in my mind. Um, I think it's necessary. I, I think that's how we're going to be able to do things. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So <clears throat> I um, the other thing I think about in these particular times, and uh, I talk about this on my own blog and podcast and when I speak, is that I, I, I actually... I want to go and talk to these folks because they actually give me hope that, you know, that there are really good people with strong moral compasses and rich with integrity that are out there in the world doing these crazy, remarkable things. And, um, and I think putting yourself in those ponds at conferences is a way for you to lift yourself up and sort of refuel in a way. Um, certainly that is true for me. I, I was in 
uh, Pittsburgh last week and I met this guy and he's a photographer and he knows Photoshop really well. That's, I mean, a nice guy. And so he started this organization where he works with kids with cancer in Pittsburgh. And all he does is, all, all he does, right? All he does is he brings families together where he brings a, he brings the kid with cancer in and asks the kid what his favorite his or her favorite superhero is, and then he makes takes a picture and he you know makes this big eight by ten framed thing for their families of these kids looking like superheroes, and he showed me this video of this of these parents like sobbing when this um, picture was revealed to the kid. And I thought to myself, it's so easy. It's so easy to, to, to do something that really matters. It doesn't have to be hard. And like, I, I was, like, he inspired me. Like, he made me think, oh, you know, the world may be going to hell in a handbasket, as my mother would say, but my God, at least we got people like Matt out there, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Have you met people like that? All the time. Yeah, all the time. I mean, I there's tons of people in Seattle like that. And then I go to conferences and they're just doing incredible work every single day. And I'm I'm really appreciative of them. Um I was I was I was actually dropping by to visit a uh, a colleague and she was an executive director of a nonprofit. And I was there and she was lifting up bags of potatoes for the the food bank that 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 they were they were running for elders in the community who were food insecure and this was an executive director lifting bags of potatoes and i'm like wow that's amazing i'm gonna stop complaining <laughs> about stuff now and yeah. yeah so i mean people out there every single day doing incredible stuff i also think it's very important to acknowledge the people who are not really seen right matt is amazing but there's so many people, our fundraisers, our operations staff, yep. who people don't really see. But this work cannot run without them. The people who are bringing funds to the organization, who are keeping our payroll and insurance and rent being paid and stuff. And because they're not very, they're not very public, they may not, you know, uh, they may not get recognized for the important work that they do every single day. So. I think it's great to recognize them. Absolutely. Uh, the The word leader is um, somehow or another reserved for the for person at the quote unquote top. But if you do not actually decentralize your leadership and um, make every person in that organization feel that people are counting on them, they step up. I mean, I... I had this um, situation where I was working with a legal clinic and there was an admin who um, they, they were thinking they wanted to put on a performance review and performance improvement plan because she kept le leaving checks on the on the Xerox machine, copy machine. And turns out these were checks for, <laughs> these were rent payments for homeless people and the organization had raised money to put them in a park, get them into apartments. And so we ended up having a big conversation with all the admin staff of that clinic and started to talk about that those weren't checks at all. Those were families and houses and dinners. And, um, and if you can start to bring that stuff to life, um, regardless of what kind of role you have in a nonprofit, 
you recognize how important what you do is, uh, regardless of what quote unquote level you're at in the organization. So um, I couldn't agree with you more. I um, I found this quote of yours, uh, it's a very Voulet quote, uh, this is in the spirit of appreciating nonprofit leaders. You say, take heart. For you are a sexy unicorn who uses your horn of equity to stab injustice in the face and help build a beautiful and vibrant community. Take a look in the mirror. Damn, that is one good-looking nonprofit professional. How do you manage to look so stylish in that Ross dress for success, dress for less shirt, you stunner you? But... (laughs) What else should we? I love that. I love the. I love the visual of it. I love, you know. I love your use of the word unicorn as the person. You know, this magical beast that's supposed to be able to do it all. Um, uh, what else do you think a nonprofit leader should 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 say to themselves as they stand in front of that mirror besides admiring their shirt? <laughs> well, first of all, Joan, I think you should read all of my blog posts from now on. <laughs> Just record them. Like, damn, that is some dramatic reading. That is amazing. But that, but that's you, man. I I know. Stacy's been trying to get me to record every blog post and put them out there, and because people might be running or writing a grant or eating hummus or something, and they might just want to prefer to to hear the blogs being read versus reading it themselves. I'm like, wow. Yeah, well, that's actually one of the reasons I got into podcasts because people wanted to, they wanted to hear my voice. Yeah, amazing yeah. voice. I really admire that. Well, thanks. Well, thank you. So well, what else? Yeah. So, so yeah, give a little shot in the arm for a nonprofit leader before we, before we uh, let you go to your uh, speaking gig. What else do you want them to know? I think it is very important for people to know that their work matters. And that, that is something I, I think so, so often we do not hear that because the work that we do, the impact, it might take several years for us to actually have that impact. And the people we have helped may not ever come back to say thank you. Yeah. And so we are left kind of in this sort of existential void sometimes. We're wondering, do the, do the, the things that I do matter? Do they actually help people? Are they actually buying these dinners and putting people and building community and all these things. And I, I think it's very important as, as someone who's been helped by nonprofits because my family arrived when I was eight from Vietnam and we didn't have anyone. We lost our community and we didn't have food and all this stuff. It's all these nonprofits that stepped in. So I, I am the result of the work that nonprofits have, have done to help me and my family. Like, I, I think it's, and, and you may not hear that and you don't know, you don't know. I don't know. It, it takes, it takes a while. I, my, I, I went back to Memphis. I'm going on, go on a tangent, but I went back to Memphis after 18 years and I looked up my, my, my high school teachers, a couple of them. And I said, Hey, it's me. I don't know. You remember me, but you, you know, you taught me 18 years ago. And I just want to say thank you because what you did made a huge difference to me. This is my English and my psychology teacher in high school. And we had dinner and we had lunch together. And I just thanked them. And this took 18 years. Yeah. And I think for nonprofits, it's just the same. We don't know. It might be 18 years before someone comes back and says, hey, 
what you did just totally transformed my life, made me realize how important community is, made me want to contribute back to making the world better. That's what you do every single day. And so when you look in the mirror, you may not see that at all. You see a tired person wearing a Ross dress for less shirt. And, and you're just like, oh God, I have to go to the office and, and, and fill out some board meeting packets, <laughs> staple them together or something. <laughs> but the work that you do, it matters more than you may ever know. And more than anyone will ever tell you, actually. So maybe in the mirror, you should actually not see that shirt, but you should see sort of this, imagine that there are like all these people uh, on your shoulders, the so people that, that did the work before you and the person you're going to pass the baton to and to the, you know, the client, the person you you will never meet who is touched by your work. And not a lot of people get that not a lot of people get that kind of opportunity in life. It's a really, it's a big deal. And I think you and I, Vu, have talked about this, that that our ability to support or sort of help the helpers through our blogs and um, um, has that has that same kind of, I mean, our, our goal here is, is can we, what can we do to lighten your load? What can we do to be practical, give you advice that might make the work a little bit of a heavy, less of a heavy lift. And most organizations don't have a, you know, have a dime to spend on leadership development. And, um, and so between, between me and Vu and the other resources out there, you know, I hope that you really do take advantage of, you know, Lou's, Vu's got a great, um, group at happy, happy, hour, a nonprofit happy hour on Facebook. And I've got something called thriving nonprofits with Joan Gary and, both of them are these massive communities of all these remarkable people um, sharing their own stories, asking for help, and helping each other, which I think is really, really remarkable. And I think the last thing I wanted to talk about is that, you know, um, Vu and I write our blog and this podcast, and and they're sort of free resources. And I feel really strongly about being able to provide those because there are so many nonprofits for whom you know, consultants and coaches are just completely out of the question. So I have a, um, I have a free video workshop that's coming up beginning on uh, October 16th. It's just a series of four 20 minute videos that, um, I think will help you to kind of assess where your organization is at, focus on some of the things that matter, maybe help you to prioritize where to focus on. If you want to move your organization from messy to thriving and what areas might might uh, get you the biggest bang for the buck. And Vu, I know you've seen the the video workshops and um, any anything you want to add in terms of what you've seen in those in those videos that you think would be helpful for people to know? Yeah, thanks for doing them, Joan. I, I've looked through all of them uh, while eating a cup of noodles in a hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> it's vegan. Vegan cups of noodles. So, and they're great. Cup of noodles is vegan? No, no, no. Cup of noodles are not vegan. I was just going to say, that, that, that would just, you'd knock me over with a feather. They're vegan versions of it. And I'm like, these videos are great. I really appreciate what you said about the... The board and the board chair and the ED being like twin engines of a jet. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's great. I need to do a better job building relationship with my board chair, who is an amazing individual. And I just haven't spent enough time um, 
working with him even though he's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think uh, there's some just, yeah. We, well, what we, we try to do is just try to give you some good um, constructs to work with. But, but I think most important, one of the most important takeaways I think is exactly what you said, which is um, the board and the staff have to work in some kind of partnership. It's not, um, uh, or, or the, the, the organization is just not going to get where it needs to go. And hopefully in this video workshop, some of the, some of those things will become apparent to you as well as some practical advice on how to do that a little bit better. So they start on October 16th or online. You'll get any, you can, um, you can, uh, sign up for it at thrivingnonprofit.org. You'll get notifications via email about when each video is ready. Um, you can watch it at your leisure during the period that runs from August, October 16th through October 25th. And um, we also create so a nice community under each video. There's all kinds of comment sections, and we're in there through the video workshop period. We'll be doing some live Q&As and Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary. We can answer questions that come up as a result of you watching the videos. You can have multiple members of your team watch them, and then you can come together and talk about what you learned or what it's how it informs your work moving forward. So I really do hope it will be helpful for you. Again, it's thrivingnonprofit.org. Sign up there, and um, and the workshop begins on October 16th. So we hope you will um, join us. So that's it for today, and I, I actually hope that amidst the banter of Vu and Joan um, that you hear the most important message that – you may need to be magical unicorns doing the impossible, but um, the world is counting on you. We think of you as superheroes. We respect the choice that you have made to step into the sector, and both Fu and I know uh, that you are superheroes, and you can count on us to be true champions of your success. Fu, um, thanks, as always. It's really always a pleasure to talk with you. Anytime. Hey, Joan. I'm looking forward to part three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to think of a we have to think of a cool topic. So let us know what you want us to talk about. And um good luck with your speaking gig. And um there are a bunch of lucky people waiting to hear for, hear what you have to say to them this morning. Thank you, Joan. Okay, Vu, take care. Joan Gary's obsession with supporting your work takes many forms. Subscribe to her blog at joangary.com reaching over 100,000 visitors monthly from over 170 countries. Explore the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Join 15,000 kindred spirits on Facebook at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary.